This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. This episode is brought to you by Strong Spas. Jerry Greer, president and CEO of Core Covers, is on the podcast today. But first, you may have noticed that we have a different intro and that it's missing Jeff. I am so sorry to report that Jeff is no longer going to co-host the podcast with me. Between my crazy schedule with my kids and Jeff taking care of his business during the pandemic, scheduling just became untenable, unfortunately. But I appreciate and thank him for all his hard work on the podcast the last couple of years. He was fun to do this with and such a good sport about it. I, for one, will miss having him on. Back to Jerry. If you don't know him from Core Covers, he may be familiar to you from his days working with Sundance and Jacuzzi. He has a long tenure in the industry and one of the more interesting pandemic journeys I've heard This episode is over an hour long, and we didn't come close to touching on all the details of what they had to go through, like when they had a batch of false positive COVID tests on the same day, and of course they thought they had an outbreak, and then it turned out that no one was actually sick. Gut check. I have added quite a few pictures to our show notes so you can see some of what CORE has had to do to not only keep their employees safe, but also keep their essential permit so they can continue manufacturing. Please check those out. I hope you enjoy this episode. Take two on the podcast. Thank you for agreeing to do this um, or trying to do this again. Yeah, of course. Oh, right. I'm just going to interrupt again here real quick. What I forgot to tell you was Jerry and I had tried to record this previously, but minutes before we got on the call, my power went out because there was an ice storm. I mean, it was just the most 2020 podcast happening ever. I think a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are probably going to know who you are from either your work before with Jacuzzi and Sundance or from Uh what you do now. But uh, before we get into your industry background, do you mind just kind of talking a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, kind of all of of that? Because I I bet a lot of people don't maybe know that part about your life. I don't think I do. Right. The secrets. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So interesting enough, I had kind of... uh, a great you know it was like a challenging youth and it was it's been you know really a gift as 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 i've you know gained in years here so i was born in newport beach california and early on my parents got divorced and my mother moved to new york city so so i bounced back and forth between west coast and east coast Mm -hmm. kind of two different worlds one was kind of a small beach smallish beach community in southern california in the other New York City, Upper West Side is where we lived most of the time. And so, um, you know, so the years that I spent with my father were, you know, spent on the beach surfing. Yeah. And the uh, years that I spent with my mother were, you know, in the big streets of New York City. And um, so, but it was, it was, a, you know, I had a chaotic, uh, until I got to college, it was quite chaotic. I yeah. uh, moved 18 times by the time I was 18. I went to seven different high schools, uh, you know, so yeah, it was that's... chaotic and part of it was my family and part of it was me. I was a wild kid and uh, a number of those, you know, I was at fault for most of the seven high schools, put it that way. And uh, I can't, I can't picture that actually. 
Yeah, you seem, you was, seem uh, so like mellow and calm, and, and I, I, I have I have smoothed out over the years, but uh, <laughs> I did not start out. I was a, it was a really bumpy, you know. I was a wild, you know, uh, destructive, you know, overly curious, overly rebellious, and um, and so it's you know. So the first eighteen years were were quite bumpy and. Um, but yet you still made it out of made it out of high school and went to college. I did, yeah. So uh, because of uh, I went to junior college first, you know. So I, yeah. I went to Orange, Orange Coast College in, in Southern California, which was a great place to kind of you know find my uh, you know find my passion and and I you know because it was not because of necessarily interest, but because of ease, I majored in communications and. Mm -hmm. uh, and in college, I found speech and debate and, and ended up going to Cal State Long Beach and uh, got a communications degree. So that was kind of the the origin of, uh, of that. And while I was in college, I, I, was, I was working um, and I got a job. Uh, my mother was quite successful in advertising. So I, uh, yeah, she was president of, of uh, 3M Media Networks, which was oh, a division. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're in the publishing, so you're probably familiar with that a little bit. But back then, um, print was still quite big, and um, what are you talking and so about? I, it's, yeah. it's it's great. <laughs> yeah, well, trains are still one aspect that uh, still true. are alive in the print yep. business, and that's probably the last, you know, yes. <laughs> that's the last piece of you know the print business is trades. But so anyway, so I uh, went into advertising, and I worked. When I was in college, I worked for um, a GT, which became Verizon, and I was working in a yellow page division, and I had talked my way into a large, um, <clears throat> it was it was like an out, it was like major accounts outside rep, and so I handled four or five million in bookings mm -hmm. for yellow pages, um, and our job was to turn four or five million in bookings into six, seven million every year, and and it was great, you know, it was a great place to kind of learn what a corporate job was like and yeah. um, it put you through a crazy amount of training and, uh, you know, and it was highly, you know, uniform and, <clears throat> you know, I had a, uh, you know, my first uh, cell phone, you know, car cell, big old car cell phone and company Buick and, you know, it was yeah, great, it, great and blue suits only and yeah, so, anyway, <laughs> so I did that, I did that for half the time in college and then um, and I did well, but I was really bored, you know, I was, I, I found out like, uh, you know, like each job kind of brought me some really good lessons, but that was my first serious job. And, um, and what I learned from that is that, uh, uh you know, I love selling things. I love, uh, interfacing with multiple industries. Um, but I hated kind of the one, one call close. I hated, you know, like, you know, you get in there, you manipulate your client and you get them to sign the contract. It was, yeah. you know, like I found, like, I learned that like, you know, uh, sales processes that involve selling something to, to an individual or a corporation once, um, you know, really, you know, one, we're really vulnerable to environments of high manipulation, but also yeah. Like the real magic of having a relationship with a client didn't exist. You sure. know what I mean? So yeah, I guess because uh, if they sign, they get you know signed up. Yeah, it this, becomes, yeah, it was that, done. Yeah, your, yeah, your job was to walk in and, and get a new contract for 
more money and and then you never see him again you mm-hmm. know what i mean so you really didn't you didn't really uh there was no priority of around like building a relationship with that client being accountable yeah. to that client on an ongoing basis um and the joy of building a relationship with people really wasn't there and yeah. um and so you know i, I it was one of those great lessons you, that you don't really learn until you're on the spot and about different sales processes or, or models. And, uh, and so I did really well. And as a result of doing really well, I had kind of a social network of friends and I had uh, someone that I looked up to that was uh, doing quite well in the golf industry. And they recruited me to come to work as a sales manager slash uh, tour rep for a division of Yokohama which is a big Japanese tire company that has a, yeah. it had a golf division that they were bringing to the U S and Interesting. so does that still, does that still exist? I don't think I've ever mm-hmm. seen them associated with golf. Yeah. So they do it under the, under the name pro gear or acronym oh, okay. PRGR okay. Okay. and it's, um, and they're still quite big in Japan and they did well, they did probably, they did pretty well here in the U S for about 10 years. And I was with them for about five years, but okay. it was another great, environment and in that and in that job i learned um you know just the value of having ongoing relationships with clients because obviously that was um you know, kind of a relationship-based business um and i learned a lot about just international business because there was uh that was a really interesting job so i had downtown la as my territory okay and uh, in about a two square mile of 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 real estate downtown LA um, there was probably about 50 Korean golf stores and Japan and Korea had trade barrier had you know basically trade restrictions between them so yeah. people in Korea couldn't get Japanese products so they would come to the US <sighs> and buy Japanese product and this was a premium super high-end set of golf clubs that back then cost you know five six thousand bucks a set yeah and so uh, so essentially most of these golf shops in Koreatown were, you know, fronts for smugglers. And so I had this, you know, so in two square miles, I was doing $4 million a year in golf clubs that immediately got put into cargo ships and got smuggled into, <laughs> smuggled into Korea. That's crazy. And yeah. It was a really, you know, and everything got paid in cash and, yeah. you know, and so in my early twenties, I was frequently walking around with bags of, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars cash that's in insane. the golf business. Yeah, it was a, yeah, so I look back at that, man, that's a lot more like drug dealing and probably golf business, but that was Maybe. a huge part of it. Yeah, yeah, probably. And uh, but it was a great job. I loved it. You know, I loved it. I had a, gr- a good time for a long time uh doing that. And in you know, roughly uh, around 96, I had a good friend, Jonathan Clark. I had two friends that were in the spa business, Jonathan Clark and another guy named Jim Ferguson. Um, and through Jim Ferguson, I met a gentleman named Tom May, who was Jim Ferguson and Tom May were founders of Artesian. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jonathan Clark was VP at, at, at the time, Sundance. And uh, yeah, I mean, these are all these are all heavy hitters. I think if you've been in the industry for very long, you've heard all of those names. Yeah, yeah, there are. I mean, they're all good people. Yeah. And um, so, so long story short, uh, Jonathan uh, asked me to come to work for Sundance, and um, and 
you know, the history is probably from there, you know, but yeah. Was that pre, was that pre jacuzzi days? Was that, was that when Sundance was was a standalone brand? It was. So I started there in 96 and, um, I was started, you know, I joined as a rep for Southern California with, you know, uh, with the opportunity to become the sales manager if I didn't screw that up. And, uh, fortunately I didn't screw that up and I became sales manager. And then, you know, as life has it, the, the guy who ran marketing, uh, he quit and another good guy named uh, Terry Gilcoyle, who, who's just recently retired this last year, Terry left, went to soft hub and, um, I was young and arrogant enough to say, I can do that job too. And so I was a sales and marketing director kind of from that yeah. point on. And then, um, you know, and it was, it was a great run. So in 98, they bought us, uh, Jacuzzi bought Sundance and, uh, and then by 99 or 2000, uh, Roy Jacuzzi, uh, well, there is a real Roy Jacuzzi. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, assigned the jacuzzi uh hot tub for hot tub category assigned the jacuzzi brand to the sundance team essentially at that time mm. and uh as some of the old timers in the industry remember the jacuzzi brand and the special retail channel was like non-existent at that point and uh and we got the opportunity to kind of relaunch that brand into the special retail channel and that was uh you know i consider that a real, a real gift and you know being able to experience, yeah. you know, what that was like to, to relaunch a brand into the channel and kind of relaunch and, yeah. the relaunch the brand into the channel, right? I mean, because Jacuzzi is yeah. kind of the name that started it all in so many ways. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the name that uh, so many people know and right. You know, it's uh, you know, so it's good. I, I take uh, I, you know, I take joy. I think along with a bunch of other people knowing that. Uh, yeah. I got, you know, I got a small piece. I got to play a small part. And, yeah. You know, well, and it's interesting. Like it's interesting too, because um, I think from talking to you before, a lot of the people who are on that team um, are still in the industry and have still gone on to do other things to help, you know, launch new companies to, yeah. you know, to do a lot yeah. of, a lot of interesting things in the industry. Like a lot of the people who are involved in that have gone on to, I don't want to say bigger and better, but um, you know, really seem to have, taken that and and ran with that yeah okay so uh i mean in all honesty that was that was an amazing group of people that came together at an amazing moment right yeah and um you know i mean and and clearly you know jonathan clark was an amazing leader and did a great job of Mm -hmm. putting the right people at the right spots and we all work so well together, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, Jerry Pasley was obviously moved on to do amazing things. Uh, he was director of sales, um, for the company while I was vice president and, you know, Jerry Pasley is probably one of the best, uh, managers I've ever, ever worked with. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure I learned a lot more from him than he, than him from me, but. And now he's at Bullfrog leading Bullfrog. So he's, yeah. He's, he's CEO of Bullfrog and has done just, you know, an amazing job of. Yeah, they've that, grown, they've grown company. a lot with him. Yeah. So, you know, so it was just an amazing group of, of, of people that came together from mm-hmm. engineering, manufacturing, product design, sales and marketing, you know, 
you know, just every, just, you know, uh, customer service, Karen Hansen, who's at uh, CalSpas now, you know, she did an amazing job on the customer service side. So, and then, you know, just in hundreds of other people, it was really, yeah. you know, so I look back at that, that period of my career and, and um, just feel so grateful that I got, I got to be, you know, on, yeah. you know, it's like being part of the Lakers for you know, <laughs> a certain period of time. There yeah, was a I'm lot sure. of great players, but just to be on that team uh, during those years, you know, you know, stayed from. 2000 to 2004 were really mm-hmm. amazing years of that company. So yeah, and I learned a lot. I learned a, I learned a ton that I got to take into my entrepreneurial life. Um, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, and those lessons still, still ring true every day that I go to work today. Yeah. When you left, um, when you left Sundance Jacuzzi, did you, um, did you go out to start something on your own or were mm-hmm. you, Yeah. what was your, what was yeah. your plan? Um, my, you know, my plan was to start my own thing. And I knew that I, you know, I was, uh, 36 at the time. Right. And I could Mm -hmm. tell, like, I was, um, you get addicted to that, you know, to be honest with you, you get like addicted to that spot of, uh, you know, I was a bit of a golden boy at the company because sales and marketing had done so, so well and kind of led the, you know, so, um, and I could, you know, I could definitely feel a sense like if I don't go now, I'm never going to go out on my own. Right. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. too comfortable. Sure. A was great. There was tons of security. I was getting stock options. Yeah. Well, no, they talk in. about, you know, they talk about like the golden, the golden parachutes, but there's also mm-hmm. kind of golden handcuffs where you get to a point yeah. where you don't yeah. feel like you can leave because of all of the great uh, perks and benefits and, you know, whatever yeah. prestige, whatever yeah. else comes with the, yeah. comes with the job that you sort of get right. stuck there, whether you like it or not. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and, and I, and I could see the handcuffs on myself, you know, yeah. without anybody really saying, I could feel it like, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it was, it was, you know, it was a big decision, you know, and something I'm so grateful I did. And it was incredibly hard. It was incredibly hard to, to, leave that yeah um you know because i wasn't really i loved the team i you know mm-hmm. it didn't we had a parent company and i hated what they were trying to do to the, to the company and that was really kind of the big rub as i figured out that if i was still gonna uh care um about what i do i needed to leave and if right. i could get to a place where i kind of don't care then i could stay and uh, you know what i mean and so i had that kind of personal choice of like who do i want to be in this life and and um, and so I left, and I started a company, uh, an online company called Hot Tub Works, which uh, you know was kind of from ground floor up. And there was, I knew there was a market because you know the phone was ringing customer service every week. You know, mm-hmm. by we, customer service would get seven hundred calls a week from consumers saying, you know, where do I get a filter for this? Where do I get a cover for this? You know, what kind of chemicals should I use them? So, so it was like an online kind of parts and accessories, kind of those ancillary yeah, so things. Yeah, so it was just basic, yeah, everything, everything to keep your hot tub running. Okay. And uh, covers, filters, chemicals, and um, parts. So I, um, so I could, you know, it was in the, the space on the online market was pretty thin. There was, mm-hmm. wasn't too many people doing that around 2005. So yeah. I knew I could do it. I'd learned enough in my marketing role to 
um, making it least dangerous in the e-commerce world. And, uh, and so we launched in, uh, 2005, 2006, and, um, it did really well almost immediately. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, it took, I mean, we lost money for six months and then it didn't turn the corner, but, uh, but in the world of startups, that's pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, you know, the thing that exploded pretty quick was covers. Like there was mm. this huge. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of unplanned led me to the whole world of covers, but kind of fast forward on that business by 2009, we had made the Inc 500, uh, fastest growing companies and, uh, had private equity companies approaching us and I sold that company, um, in 2012, Leslie's owns it. It's one of the Leslie's properties oh, okay. today. Yeah. Like most acquisitions, they kind of bought it and sure. it's just kind of slowly dies out, but it, it had done, you know, it did really well and, um, you know, surprisingly well and, and it was a great kind of experience that, yes. uh, you know, so I had a lot of personal stuff also happened in that time. Like the guy that I started it with was one of my best friends and was a, a head of interactive at Warner Music. And uh, he had gotten, so he, he basically was in charge of all the websites, all web development, mm -hmm. all interactive for Warner Music Group, which is five music labels. So his name is Chris Toby, and he joined me as partner when I launched that business. So I had a great technology partner yeah, that I launched that so. business with. Yeah. And he was just a great human. So another guy that just really, you know, much like John Clark and Jerry Pasley and Tom May. Uh, Chris Toby was like one of those personal friends that also inflect, you know, really gave me a visual role model of what kind of guy I want to be in business mm -hmm. and in the world. And, and Chris Toby, he passed away unexpectedly during, uh, during those years around 2010, you know, so it was a really galvanizing period to kind of not only start that business with a best friend and who was kind of my technology partner and then be, and then have him suddenly pass away and kind yeah. of take over that responsibility as well. It was real galvanizing in that way. And mm -hmm. it also, you know, uh, got me to, it probably softened me up on selling that business uh, a lot. Kind of took quicker. some of the fun, of, fun out of it, it I would imagine. It, it totally took some of the fun out yeah, of it. Yeah. Sure. You know what I mean? I almost became, there was an element of sadness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, that business I really mm -hmm. associated with as Chris and I. Yeah. And, so, uh, yeah, so that led me to selling that company in 2012. Uh, and, and prior to that, I had connected with Robert Galletter, who's my current day partner, who's another amazing man. Mm. I've been fortunate with like the best partners, the best coworkers. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, this isn't, this isn't usually how these stories go. I feel like it's like, well, I tried it with this one guy and it was a disaster and I'll never have another partner again. That seems to be yeah. really how these kinds of, how do these kinds of yeah. stories go, but you seem to have found good partners and good teammates. I think that's been, you know, one of the best parts about mm -hmm. in my work history is that I've gotten to work with people that, you know, I just think the world of, yeah. you know, just think the world of and taught me so much about what kind of, we're living examples, both professionally and personally. And Robert Galletter just a, you know, a kind, brilliant, humble, uh, humble guy. And um, how did you get hooked and, up with him? Oddly enough, so I, I, we were buying our covers from Sunstar and, um, 
and Robert had called me and said, Hey, I'm starting this little thing in Mexico and make covers and TJ. And, and the crazy thing was, is that was like 2006, 2007. And I was, had just entered due diligence to buy Sunstar because the cover business had blown mm. up so big that I knew that I had to get control of my supply chain. And so Robert calls me while I'm in the due diligence to buy another cover manufacturer, mm -hmm. right? And I said, I'll come down. Let me come down and see you. You know yeah. what I mean? And so uh, I went down to Mexico and saw Robert and saw what he was doing. It was just basically a 10 shed with 25 employees. And, you know, it was just really the utter beginnings of, uh, of a manufacturing site. And, and I thought, Robert, I thought, man, this guy is the craziest entrepreneur I've ever met didn't know anything about making covers. Yeah. Moves his family to, you know, Tijuana from Berkeley, right? So he'd been in Berkeley, moved everybody down to Tijuana, young kids or, you know, youngish kids. And, uh, and he's starting a cover manufacturing plant with zero business. You know what I mean? Just, you talk about wow. startup. It was startup. Yeah. And, uh, just so one of the bravest entrepreneurs I've ever met. You know what I mean? He doesn't seem like this gladiator type of business guy, but you know, he is just one of the bravest guys I've ever met in terms yeah. of the entrepreneurial world. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I met with Robert and just was, I fell in love with him. You know what I mean? He's just a great human, smart, honest, humble. And I could see the vision. You know what I mean? I, 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 I had two things. I heard his vision and I could have my own vision. Like sure. I knew what it could be. And yeah. Originally, uh, we just started out as we were a client, and then I became an investor, and then I became a partner was kind of the, the evolution of that. And I passed on buying Sons and Sark, so grateful I did at that time. And then- I was going to say, that's, uh, that kind of came yeah, full circle. Eventually. It came full circle, <laughs> yeah, right, right? And um, so Robert, you know, Robert had asked me to, to be his partner and come run the company during the years that I was super busy with, with Hot Tub Works. And um, so as soon as I sold the company, you know, I immediately went to work and full-time as, as partner and CEO of Core Covers. And we were, by that time, oh God, how big were we? We were probably, we've grown fivefold at least since, since that time. Yeah. When you got your start at Sundance, I mean, did you picture yourself in the hot tub industry for the long haul? I mean, at any point, did you think, I think I want to go on and do something outside of hot tubs or once you got in and kind of had the relationships that you did within the industry, you said, eh, I'm good here. No, you know, I, I don't think I've ever thought of getting in or getting out, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. never, I've been very kind of focused on like, okay, I'm doing this now. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I, I, I become a dog with a bone on kind of what the next yeah. project is. And I, I, you know, and I believe, you know, I'm a firm belief, like nothing happens by accident, you know, and I right. can look at my past and yeah. really see how clearly that is so um you know so i'm kind of one of those guys that's that's open you know i'm open to kind of whatever comes and yeah. when it shows up i kind of know it i intuitively know like this is what i need to do and this is what i need to accomplish mm -hmm. and you know and i also have had enough bruises through you know to kind of say you know stuff changes you know people mm -hmm. like my partner passing my chris toby unexpectedly passing away and and that changing how I felt about that business. And I, to be honest with you, I never really have thought about, you know, staying in or escaping or mm -hmm. this is what I want to do when I grow up. I mean, I do, <laughs> you know, like I do have some goals that are kind of outside the industry that, you know, that when I do retire, I do know what I want to do with my life. But today I'm all in. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
today I'm all in. And I think that means that you like what you do. <laughs> And I'm not good at um, staying, I've learned like I'm not good at staying in things that I don't like to do, mm. right? You know, sure. I am definitely one of those people that, but this way, if I'm, you know, like if I'm unhappy in what I'm doing, I figure out how to change that. Sure. You know, I mean, the life short, I know that like there's areas of my job that there's areas of our business that I don't, I don't micromanage that I pretty, I manage almost as shoulder to shoulder with like Jeff Coles, who's our operation, you know, who's our general manager, but he's, he's an amazing operator in the area of operations and I implicitly trust him and you know and I stay out of his hair and yeah I, I know everything that's going on but I'm not quarterbacking that part of our right. company because yeah. he's better at it and um and I'm not so insecure to give him the authority to do so yeah right and you're you staying know? out of the things that you that would make you not enjoy what you're doing <laughs> yeah that are just like boring to me mm-hmm. you know yeah. boring or tedious or don't feel passionate about so I've learned that part of the idea of success is freedom to do the things that I like to do mm-hmm. and that I'm good at and typically things that we're good at, like to do we're good at and yeah. so I try to try to focus on that rather than trying to do all parts or be an expert in all areas because I just think that's a recipe for failure. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because we had talked um, pretty extensively about everything that CORE went through during the pandemic and the shutdown. And it was one of the more interesting stories that I heard as I talked to a bunch of people across the industry about how that time was for them. And so I thought you would be an interesting person to also because you deal with so many different people in the industry and different manufacturers, you have a, a view of the industry, unlike, um, you know, just a single manufacturer would. And, and so, um, so I kind of wanted to talk to you about what that experience was like. And I think you give a perspective to the whole industry as to what that time and what this year has been like that I think um, would be interesting to, to retailers across the country. I appreciate that you would think anything I have to say is interesting. And, um, I, but I, I will say that, you know, no doubt it was, it was a roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, it's been a really a, quite a roller coaster. I got enough history in the business that typically major events are not great for discretionary product categories. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? So my knee jerk reaction is, you know, when bad things happen in the world, it's not necessarily good news. You know, we're not making yeah. toilet paper, right? We're not making, we are clearly a discretionary yes. category, right? And we're not, our price points are not insignificant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So consumer confidence wanes. You know, there's just a lot of things that happen that can affect the, the hot tub business. Yeah. And, and then also the reality that our company is big enough now where we have a significant amount of market share where I can't go add, 15 new OEMs and, and grow my way out of a problem, you know what right. I mean? Which yeah. in past points of my career where I was faced with contracting industry, those moments I was always faced with an opportunity to, to kind of grow the top line mm-hmm. revenue and you just kind of power your way through the, you know, through the downturn. So when this happened, I kind of, you know, I thought this could really hurt yeah. <laughs> you know, and hurt in a big way. When did you first start to get kind of an inkling that maybe some big things were were coming? I mean, I think for everyone kind of hit the same sort of shutdown period when we are like, oh, this is going to be a huge deal. But I mean, were you starting to get worried in in February and not until March? Yeah, when so did you start to get concerned? February. Yeah, yeah. February. 
I mean, here's the interesting part because we have aspects of our business that are based in the U.S. and mm -hmm. and internationally. I pay attention to more world events now than I ever have, you know. And when you sure. have current currency, it affects our business. So just little. So as a result of just these kind of normal day to day business things, it's expanded my awareness to kind of what's going on in the world and how that might affect our business. And I think most people who are running a business with international supply chain, international manufacturing sites, large number of employees. It requires, I, for me to do a decent job, I'm looking, I'm gathering more data points than I would if I was running, you know, a different type of business, right? right. So sure. there's more particular data points that, that influence the performance of our company. So as a result, you know, I was paying more attention to it in the beginning in February than probably I would if I was running, you know, sure. uh, a hot tub retail uh, store, a uh, hot tub retail store, yeah, right? Sure. I, you know, I've had my head down and kind of more in that retail business, and I knew it could be a problem. You know, my biggest concern was if consumers get afraid, they're going to hunker down, and yeah. you know that's going to have a significant impact on. Uh, our category. It's going to have a significant impact on foot traffic to the retailers, i.e. manufacturers, and then by us, the uh, uh, OEM suppliers, right? So, it, 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 you know, it looked concerning immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, we were looking at it uh, in any particular way. And what was interesting about it was I had spent I had flown to China on, on New Year's. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah. So I, no. I, I had already had the coronavirus by late January. You did? Yeah. I didn't know I that did. you had, had I didn't know that you had been sick at all. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I got man. it in late January. So I I was in China the first week of January. I flew there New Year's Eve. So yeah, you all week. Yeah. You I, knew so what I was, in, was I, coming. Well, I had no idea. I just knew I was sick as, you know, a dog. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, in late January. And, wow. uh, yeah, so I spent the first week in China working, which I'd done strategically. So, you know, because we were doing, you know, that was basically a shutdown week for us at the plant. So sure. I thought it was a great time to go to China and, uh, get a bunch of projects done. Man. Yeah, and a few weeks later I was sick. So, uh, so the minute they started talking about it, I had some personal reference. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it. were you, were you patient zero, Jerry? Would you, did you? No, I think that was January. <laughs> no, that was November in San Francisco. So luckily. Okay. okay. So luckily, we can't, we can't blame yeah. you for any but of But I was definitely patient zero in my own household. I will tell mm. you that. Yeah, did, so. did other people, did your wife get sick? Did you pass did. it around? Oh no. Yeah. And I'm not, yeah. I mean, I know of three, four people that specifically, you know, uh, we did. We did oh, pass no. it too. Well, I mean, yeah. and at that time you didn't really, I feel like you didn't really know. I mean. Yeah. So I, I, I was fortunate that I didn't know, I didn't know how bad it was or how contagious mm -hmm. it was. So that's obviously not good. Uh, and fortunately I didn't have friends mad at me for passing around a virus. <laughs> we were all ignorant at that time. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But fortunately it was, you know, and it was just a terrible flu for, you know, four or five days is how it manifested for me. And I do remember like in the next couple of weeks, like I had, I could still feel it in my lungs, which was unusual. And yeah. I remember saying to my wife kind of laying in bed going like, God, it's almost like I have to think to breathe. That's how it felt. You know, even though I wasn't necessarily like with fever anymore at that point. And yeah. I'm not sure if it helped or hurt, but it, it seemed like it helped. My wife said, you know, it started dragging me to boot camp a couple, like a week and a half after I'd recovered. 
And like that really helped clear my lungs. I remember going like, yeah, yeah like that. Forced, or, forced the issue. It really did. Yeah. So, so I had that January, you know, so I had some experience kind of going into it that when they start talking about it in February, I was like, okay, yeah, but like, yeah. I can see this thing. I can see that being bad. Nothing like personal experience to uh, make yeah, you yeah. super aware. Yes. And, and humble. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and luckily fortunately for my wife, it was really relatively, she was, mildly ill for 24 hours 48 hours okay well that's good yeah, so, so you, yeah, so so you was, kind of had it the worst of it out of the two of you yeah and i didn't i just thought it was i rarely get sick and i just thought bad flu and no big deal you know did you end up getting tested for covid then eventually or you just kind of mm -hmm. you just know you did and actually i have tests in the house here so we oh you we, do uh, yeah yeah we have i don't know we got probably them you know we probably got 100 tests oh. in the house so we you know we provide tests for our friends and it's almost funny you know what i mean so we it have people when of, people come by or come over like oh, let's test you you know what i mean and so they do a little instagram post on their test oh. and they're it's like a little badge of honor they can they can walk hey. around with their, either I, clean I, you know or, it's i think if you haven't been tested yet i feel like that is almost stranger than having tests in your house <laughs> really yeah i don't it's it's funny um it's amazing like how many people have it. No, it's not amazing, but it, it, a lot of people haven't been tested. It's I like, mean, I honestly, I have, not, like, I have not been tested yet. Yeah, um, yeah. So. I think, yeah, a lot of people haven't. So anyway, it's almost like a novelty gift when yeah. people come by our house. We, yeah. Well, we I, I haven't been tested, but I mean, our, our nanny has been tested twice and she's had mm -hmm. roommates who have had it. And so mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I, I just, it hasn't quite made it down the line to where I need to get tested. So, yeah. you know, roommate test positive nanny tests negative, then I don't yeah. get tested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I hope you don't have genuine cause to be tested, but if you're ever out here in Southern California in the near future, you can come by and- Seems unlikely, we'll you, but we'll yeah. You, yeah, we'll give you a 15 minute <laughs> test and you can do an Instagram post on- There you uh, go. Yeah. yeah, so we our tests that we have actually have reflect antibody, it reflects positive, negative, or okay. uh, in possession of the antibody. So, so you have wife and I both have antibodies, yeah. So hopefully that uh, I don't know. I think the I think the judgment on whether you can catch it a second time is still out. Yeah, it, yeah, jury's still out on that one. We're almost a year into this, and I feel like we, there's still so much that we that we don't know. So agree with that. Agree with that. So you knew in your bones that something was mm -hmm. coming. <laughs> yeah. What? How did the timeline go for you guys as far as having to get shut down and what you're told from the government? And, and like you said, you're a multinational company, you're manufacturing mm -hmm. in Tijuana. And so you've got yeah. things coming from the U.S. government and from the Mexican government. We're basically impacted by kind of three municipalities, if you will, but obviously Mexico, TJ, or mm -hmm. Baja, California. And Mexico is just like the states where, you know, you have federal and then you have state and then you have city right and then obviously california and then pennsylvania you know oh, so right, those are that's our, right. Yeah. right so those are kind of our three different influencers in terms of governmental impact and mexico my immediate assumption was that mexico is going to be least restrictive out of all of them and i was 100 percent wrong on that mm. and you know i figured california would be the most you know restrictive followed by pa and then i figured mexico would be wild wild west which it can be on some issues and clearly not on others so i don't remember the dating the dates really specifically but so i'll just speak in generalities like sure. uh, around mid 
beginning of March, uh, orders started softening, which is a, a challenge in our business because there's a high labor content. So the immediate question is, what am I going to do with all of our employees yeah. in Mexico? You know, there's great things about being in Mexico and there's some really bad things about being in Mexico. And, and in the U.S., you can rescale your workforce rather quickly without much of a financial consequence. You can do layoffs in the U.S. In Mexico, you can't do layoffs without significant severance. It's basically much more, it's, you know, I would say it's much more parallel to, you know, Western Europe policies in terms of layoffs. So, so sometimes laying off or rescaling your workforce is much more expensive than holding on to them, right? Yeah. So, so the question really always becomes, how long is this going to last and, and what have you? So orders immediately kind of fell off and Mexico quickly kind of by late March had started enforcing a policy that needed to get an essential permit deemed as an essential services company, mm -hmm. which we felt like we had a good shot for at least you know, the majority of our business because we're making safety covers and clearly drowning is the number two cause of death for children. So yeah. safety covers are an important part of that. So we knew we could make a good case and there's lots of international documentation that supports what hot tub covers are and how they are a safety product. You know, just because I believe that doesn't necessarily mean that I can clearly explain that to a Mexican official. Yeah, for sure. And they were, you know, I've never seen uh, Mexico be so assertive on a particular issue, but they were literally showing up at manufacturing sites with federales and law enforcement of, yeah, of some they type. Weren't, they weren't messing around. They were not messing around. They were not messing around. And um, we stayed open for a couple of weeks trying to get our essential permit because it wasn't coming as quickly or and everybody was scrambling, you know, every company was scrambling to get their, their permit. And so some people just kind of turned off the lights and pulled down the screens and kept manufacturing right. without it, you know, kind of much like California, there was a lot of manufacturers that technically should have shut down and they just kept right. manufacturing. And, mm -hmm. and for the most part, there was little consequences to that. For us, we had to go dark because we are multinational and we're going to follow the rules. And I believe in being a good citizen. So we're going to follow the rules. And, uh, even when I don't want to follow the rules, we're going to follow sure. the rules, you know? So, so we shut down and went dark and just went to work, you know, in every possible entrepreneurial creative way we could to get that essential permit as quickly as we can. And probably within, so like order softened mid-March and probably by first week in April, the big question of whether there's going to be demand was answered. So like, I, you know, but there was a couple of weeks where in the first, first three weeks, yeah, you know, it's from shutdown from mid-March to first week in April, those are pretty uncertain times. You know what I mean? Like I could easily see like, okay, this could take us down, you know, in a, in a number of different ways. One being, is there going to be demand? Right. And I have a fairly big business. So if demand comes back and it's minimal, it's going to be really difficult to rescale quickly to survive just from a cash flow standpoint, you know, without making drastic moves and bringing on partners and what have you. So, so I didn't know if that, you know, I didn't know what it had a bunch of different plans. Wasn't sure which one I should be really, you know, working on 20 hours a day. But my first big sense of relief was clearly the industry was going to have demand come first you know, around the first week of April. I could kind of see that, okay, people are, people are buying hot tubs. It surprised me. I remember thinking, wow, this is really interesting. Uh, I think it surprised everybody. I mean, yeah. you know, in that, in those first few weeks, everyone was hunkering down for the worst. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. 
it was a lot of a lot of panic across the country and into the industry and it was just like out of nowhere no one no one expected it i think everyone would have behaved differently a lot differently in those first few weeks of this if they had known that sales were about to skyrocket for sure you know i mean so we had you know even even subjects as simple as uh accounts receivable you know Mm -hmm. i mean like i thought all right who's gonna pay you know, yeah. not only do I have ex- significant outgoing expenses, but who's going to pay the bills? I'm sure you were thinking about the same thing. Like, who's yeah, going to pay, you know, for who's sure. going to pay for uh, advertising right now? All right, yeah, so. no, I mean, you know, we went a couple months there in March and a good portion of April, like nobody paid us. <laughs> right, right. It was, right. it was not great. It was not great. Yeah. So I will say like, uh, our clients have been amazing. You know what I mean? So there were so many clients I mean, with the exception of probably one client who will go completely unnamed, but they, I feel so grateful for my clients, big and small, you know, but I had CEOs of other companies reaching out and just saying, you know, Hey, we know you live in a tight margin, high cash demand segment of our category. We're going to do our best and and absolutely take, make your AP a priority. I mean, literally had, you know, can't say enough about like the quality of people that, you know, at our, at our client, the, yeah. the clients that we have big and small dealers, OEMs. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of people reach out and say, you know, we're in the same boat. You are, Anna, yeah. you know, we're going to do everything we can to take care of you guys. And, yeah. um, and you're not the only person I've heard that from. I think it's interesting. There's this real kind of collaborative and we're in this together feel that was going through the industry at that time too. It's like, it, this was so far out of our control that I, I think everyone just kind of had a lot of compassion for, for each other because there was nothing you could really, you could really do. And so yeah, people were really um, understanding and putting their necks out for each other and doing what they could to help when they could, because they knew, I, I think they knew that they could be next, you know, the ones who needed the help, next month. I mean, it was just kind of, you just didn't know what was going to happen. It was, it was really interesting. And I I did feel like our industry came together in a way that I haven't maybe, I haven't seen before. I would agree. I mean, crisis is great for uh, melting away much of the BS. So, right. It's it's, uh, a crisis can crystallize things. And and, in many ways that did. And so we were shut down to kind of wrap that portion of that chapter. We were shut down for six weeks. Uh, We ended up getting our essential permit for our main manufacturing site in Baja from the Department of Economy in Mexico and then further got the health department to, to issue one. But so it took a lot of, you probably could make a movie. I mean, we had people sitting in, in government offices and, you know, there was envelopes and just, I mean, you, you, yeah. you name it. We were, it was a, you know, whatever it takes environment, you know yeah. what I mean? And so... That's interesting. Yeah, it makes it hard when you don't know when the rules aren't very well laid out for what you're supposed to do. And then you just kind of everyone is making their own rules. It's, it's got to be really difficult to figure out what what is our next move. And you had, you know, you had different departments totally running their own game. And, you know, it was it was it was chaotic. I mean, it was yeah. really, really chaotic. And so once you got the permit, I mean, that was that kind of it? Like, did no one try to sort of hassle you or? I mean, once you had that piece no, of paper, we, it was it was the done deal. No, it was you know get the machine running. But the requirements, at least for Baja California, were that uh, anyone high risk. So we had approximately 100 people that were sitting at home. And I think the other big element that I didn't mention is in Baja California, we're paying. Well, we were dark. We were paying employees. So huh. you know, one of the 
consequences or price tags that any company pays for being a manufacturing in Mexico or some other country with similar rules is that we are the uninsured, you know, we're the unemployed insurance, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's our, it's our dime that, uh, so for six weeks we had approximately 700 people on full payroll, not producing, not shipping yeah. with limited receivables coming in. So it was, it was one of the, it was like being in a slow motion train wreck, you know what I mean? Sure. And so, yeah. Yeah. So unlike, unlike the U S manufacturers who could send people home and furlough them or lay them off temporarily and all those things, you still had yeah. that giant cash yeah, yeah. that you had to, yeah. that you had to meet yeah. for every, every payroll. Correct. Yeah. So it was kind of clearly easy to figure out like, okay, how long can we afford to do this? And then the other question is like, how long do I want to do this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know, do I want to end up personally bankrupt if this goes on for four months? You know what I mean? And, yeah, uh, I do know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, so in that way, it was, there was a huge part of it that I was really clear, like big pieces of this that are completely out of my control. And all that I can do is take act, specific action on these solutions. And, and I kind of had to let go of like the result, like this, yeah. you know, there's a huge piece of this that I am not in control of. And there is these smaller action steps that I can be, you know, just persisting great effort, focusing on these small actions. Yeah. And so I just focus on those small actions and focus the team on, you know, what is actionable and somewhere in there, I just stopped worrying about it. You know, it was like, this kind of, just kind of went, okay, God, whatever, yeah, that's, whatever comes, comes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's. It, there was a little bit of peace in that, that it was so out of, out of your control that it was just like, I just. I mean, whatever yeah. happens, happens. And I guess we're just right. going to, we're just going to have to deal with it as it comes. And Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, so, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I stopped worrying about it, but <laughs> you do kind of yeah. give up there. You do kind of, when you realize you're so out of control of something, if you can kind of get to the place where you're okay with that part of it, there is a little bit of a piece that comes with that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's just kind of, there's this um, real gift of kind of sometimes accepting exactly where we're at. Mm -hmm. Like this is where I'm at. It's okay. I'm still breathing yeah. in and out. You know what I mean? My wife, I feel like my that's kids been, are, you know? I feel like that's been all of business ownership. It's been like, okay, this is where we're at. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what right. I mean? So, which is different than where we're going to be. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think what, what kills us as business owners, right, is wasting that amount of energy on what if, the negative what ifs, right? right? Yeah. And you know, rather than what is, which is, this is where we're at. This is what's actionable. This is where we're going to go. And right. so I've learned great value in, I don't spend a lot of energy. I spend as little energy as necessary on the negative what ifs. Mm -hmm. you know, there is a bit of it. You know, we need a, we need a plan in our building if there's right. a fire, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. We need contingencies. If, right. You know, that kind of stuff. Like yes. we need redundancies, but I, I am not going to spend one more second than I have to on kind of doomsday thinking. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not where I'm at and it doesn't lead me, you know, just personally, it doesn't, I don't enjoy it. You know, I don't, I don't ever feel good thinking about what's the worst is going to happen. Right? right. So, yeah, for sure. You know, so I, I'm much more of a fan and, and just my personality is mm -hmm. I love, I love where things can go, what possibilities are. That's, you know, that's mm -hmm. just kind of the, the person that I am. Experience true spa convenience at the touch of a button. 
Strong Spa's fully automated DuraShield hardcover is another example of Strong's innovative engineering in a long line of industry firsts. Strong has taken the durability and strength of its hardcover and made the ease of use even simpler. Effortlessly open and close DuraShield with a simple turn of a key. Strong's DuraShield hardcover holds 1,000 plus pounds and comes with a limited lifetime guarantee. I've seen the automated hardcover in person and it was impressive. Be sure to check it out at the next industry trade show. Kind of going through that point of like, hey, it's whatever it is, it's going to be okay. And it may be completely different than what I wanted it to look like, yeah, but for it's sure. going to be okay. And you know, I've had plenty of things not work out the way I wanted to and look back on them like, and be so grateful. Like, God, thank you for not giving me what I want. It's very true. I think much of life is like that, right? Yeah, Where for sure. Something that looked really bad and it, um, you know. You, you get know, through it. You get through it. and Or even better yet, like there's so many things that are just, they look really bad and mm-hmm. it turns out they were so good. Yeah. Were, yeah. They were so good, you know yeah. what I mean? So it reminds me of Tom May with Artesian, one of the, the primary founder of Artesian. Man, and they, they went through such challenges in those early years. And I remember Jonathan and I went and saw Tom May in Victorville. We had to go out to Vegas for something. And so Artesian had just moved to Victorville. And Tom happened to be there. And so we the three of us got together and just talked about it. I remember listening to Tom and looking at what, what was going on. And I just thought, man, I cannot believe like what determination, because he was already successful. So he didn't need to, right. yeah. you know, like it wasn't, you know, he was doing it because he believed in it, not because he needed the money. Right. And he, you know, was continuing to invest and to invest and, and just incredible example of like, pers- you know, perseverance, but you know, any business consultant would have said, Tom, shut it down. You know, right. don't. Yeah, you know, there's better write-offs in the world if you want. Than <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, but he was just such a believer. I remember just being like really struck by that conversation with Tom May, where he just said he knows it will do well. You know, and, and look at them today—they're amazing, yes. successful brand. And, and Kelly's daughter has done you know an amazing job, and Manny Sanchez has done an amazing job of running the production side and their sales team. And George, I mean, just I look at all right. that success today and. That wouldn't be there if Tom didn't have that. Yeah. Tom passed away about a year ago. So, but it's great to speak his name yes. in this medium and, you know, recognize like what contributions to the industry and all the employees that work there and, yeah. and all the retailers that are, you know, that sell that brand today, that it was really, those brands exist today because they're just amazing personalities and character that, right. you know, forge those companies through really tough times. So. Going back to your your COVID journey, I guess when you guys got the, or got your permit, you, you're able to open back up. What all did you have to do to be able to let people in the building safely? I mean, I know a lot of manufacturers had to implement social distancing and masks and all kinds of things. What did that look like for your for your plant? It, you know, I'm sure most people's reference is kind of just standard U.S. manufacturing mm-hmm. stuff that restrictions or guidelines that we've all encountered for our U.S. operations, which uh, the Baja California was way, the bar was set way higher. So really, I'll just kind of take you to the current day protocol, which has been in place since we were allowed to reopen, which is uh, we have uh, everybody gets a temperature reading at the gate. Then they walk through a sanitizing tunnel, which I think you pictured in the article. I did. Yeah. I was so, I was so glad we had a picture of that to put in the magazine. And if if you haven't seen it, you should go, you should go look because it's just as kind of this insane 
It's like it's, it's like a having junk a, house. It's yeah. a junk. It looks like a giant yeah. junk house that sprays you down with alcohol. You know, yeah. what I mean, so, you know, I'm surprised some people aren't trying to hang out in it longer. So, um, <laughs> you know, basically, you have to go through this large inflatable tunnel for ten seconds, and it can sanitizes, you know, at least the exterior of your body. And and then once you're past that tunnel, you're met with a second temperature check, a questionnaire, an audit, a medical audit for every employee. And this is every shift, yeah. you know, every day, multiple shifts, you know, so just the turnover, just the changeover between shifts, you know, takes still to this day, takes a significant amount of time. Wow. Um, so there's that initial audit. And then there is, we have a full-time nurse that we had to hire and we have a medical office on site. If anyone has any symptoms of any kind, we have a quarantine area mm-hmm. where we, they're quarantined until we can get them to the nearby medical clinic where we get them with a more thorough test. We do have those rapid tests on site, which if anybody has any symptoms, we do a rapid test. And then we go to the clinic for, for uh, the blood test, actual, the higher profile blood test that, that they do at the clinic. So, and then internally, uh, so that's just to get in the building. You go through all those audits. Yeah. And then internally, we have a minimum distancing of six six feet, which is been checked by the health department. So we've had physical inspections of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously lunch areas, contact tracing, it's holistic, it's expensive, you know, it's tedious. We still have 90 employees that are considered high risk that, you know, that are not, not working, but they are getting paid. At what point do you see those people coming back? Cause that was, that was the case when I talked to you in August and here we are in November. I mean, at some right. point, at some point, I mean, does that just go on indefinitely? Like at some point, what, what happens? So good question. I mean, do they say, I want to come back to work? I, I just, I can't sit at home anymore. Is that what basically is going to have to happen? Yeah. So the majority of those people actually do want to come into work. And um, mm-hmm. there is a, a port, so there's probably roughly about 30% of, of on average is performance based. So those people are at home getting paid, but they're receiving 30% less because they're not getting their their performance. So just simply by the fact that that 30% probably represents a lot of money to those people. And, you know, I would say our workforce is, it's a great workforce. They care about, they care about their work, they're hard workers, you know I mean? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, I'm I'm proud of the workforce that we have in our company. So I would say confidently that those 90 people all want to come back, or at least the majority of them do. And, um, but they can't, there is a color coded kind of a, they call it a stoplight system, uh, in Mexico, you know, and basically it was at red or at orange it needs to go to yellow for those people to come back. And then green is all clear. And so yeah. where Baja California, cause it's based on States and there's, I think 14 States in Mexico, 12 or 14, you may get that wrong, but Baja California in that particular state, there is a high infection rate still and hospitals are still maxed out. Obviously, we're all watching the infection not dissipate the way that we thought it would. And so we anticipated by now being at that yellow level, which would allow us to bring back the employees, uh, we'd still have to maintain the procedures that we have in place. Um, And then at green, we can kind of relax those procedures and reduce the social distancing. So and the social distancing is also an aspect of a huge impact because we're a manufacturing site. So we have to reconfigure lines and touch points right. between 
product cycles. And yeah, I've heard that social distancing has been the toughest one, both from a manufacturing standpoint, but also just from a, a people standpoint. I was talking to the owner of Clearwater and he was saying that, you know, people just want to be around each other and it's hard to tell them to stand back. I mean, they don't mind wearing a mask, It's but it's like, oh, and I also can't, you know, stand over here and talk to my coworker. Like he said, that's been the hardest part to get people to adhere to because they just want to be around each other and next to each other and talk to each other. Right. I mean, honestly, I think, you know, it depends on the manufacturing process, right? So the socialization part where, you know, I think all of us miss hanging out with our friends and our family and all of us have probably been impacted that, you know, I know that I have not gone out to dinner with friends in a long time. And that's something I used to really enjoy. Right. And, you know, so they're obviously we're all impacted socially, but uh, in, in the manufacturing environment, I think it depends on the manufacturing process. So I'm sure you know, how it impacts Balboa making controls or, you know, uh, Bullfrog making spas is, you know, different, right? Because the lines are different and size of products and what can be automated, what's not automated. In our process, it's a sewn product and it's a manufacturing line where people are sewing one aspect of the cover and passing it forward to the next Mm -hmm. sewing cell, right? And so it's a fairly... It's not quite elbow to elbow, but it is pretty close elbow to elbow and it's Sorry, original yeah. design. So that all had to get spread out, which takes a bigger footprint in the factory, which reduces the amount of the people that we can have there or the amount of throughput. And you guys actually, you had some unused space that you were able to expand into. Is that right? We did. We had basically because we could not make other product categories. So we historically have made a lot of outdoor cushions and umbrella canopies and in a lot of patio oriented elements. And we have great clients that, uh, you know, normally that would be a big part of our Q1, Q2 business and um, Q4, Q1 probably is a better way to put it. But we were not able to really be producing those in Q, much of Q1 and Q2 for them. We're still not. So we were able to kind of rededicate that, reallocate that that square footage yeah. to making uh, spot covers in a new socially distanced manufacturing format. And so that, you know, so that was some, you just do it. It's an entrepreneurial world, right? When you get in these situations, so you just start juggling like yeah. all of us have done to make it work. And right. And so we did that and, and we've even further expanded. We have a new facility that just is coming online now to give us some further redundancy, further growth. That's exciting. Yeah, it's uh, and necessary. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. it's necessary. We, the last thing we want to do is impede our clients from serving their clients. Yeah, you don't want to be the um, you don't want to be the bottleneck if you can help it. No, we were that for a second. Well, yeah, I was gonna. Say, how did you get caught back up? Because you know you're closed for you said what six six weeks. You're not six, producing. Yeah, so six weeks, and then and as I mentioned, the orders reappeared mid April, right? right? And we could say like, oh, okay, the industry's not gonna really take a big hit here. And then yeah. another week goes by and goes, okay, this is this is a tidal wave of orders that we're all encountering, right? Yeah. So this is, this looks real. And, you know, the phone immediately went from, uh, hey, hold that PO that's in the works to I need that PO and I need the next six six more. It went from okay. like, don't ship me anything to... Because unlike retailers who are ordering their hot tubs on demand, more or less, the, the OEMs who you'd do probably the biggest amount of your business with, mm-hmm. like they are forecasting and they have things planned out with you for longer periods of time usually right yeah i mean on the oem most of them (laughs) no yeah i mean one thing that we're we're almost a made to order so most of the time 
Mm. I would tell you that most of the time our orders are generated once the OEMs have their their orders coming from a dealer. So it's almost that quick oh. of a cycle. So most of our clients, we've been able to pace kind of what their lead time is. So we are okay. we're pretty sure. close to a just-in-time product. And, and for a lot of OEMs, we are a just-in-time product. That impacts some of those other comments that I made about like scaling your workforce makes it when you're right. just-in-time supplier to other large manufacturers, you always kind of have to be in context to what their actual demand is, right? Yeah. Without really screwing up that just-in-time process. So so we were be- immediately behind the curve is the short story is orders ramped up right. as well as OEMs right. were, right? But we were yeah. almost out of the gate, covers, electronic controls, and acrylic sheet were the problem. And luckily within about three weeks, four weeks, uh, we started getting our legs under us. So we were open by late April beginning of May, it took us basically May to kind of get our, get our feet under us. And so we're able to kind of drive down that backlog. We got our feet under us probably the first of May and then started working down the backlog, you know, June and July. Yeah. Were you, um, I mean, with everything that you had to do as far as reworking the factory and not bringing in as many people, have you been able to, I mean, can you produce more covers now or were you producing less? I mean, how are you able to get caught back up with all of the restrictions that were put on you? We're producing more um, than we were prior and we were producing more than we were last year. We quickly, we didn't, we didn't play it safe. We wanted to we wanted to be not be a problem for the industry, right? Yeah. We didn't want our $200 cover to be the reason that a $10,000 hot tub can't be delivered, right? Sure. That's, that's a recipe for disaster on the supply chain side, right? So yeah, yeah. So we kind of, so we just figured out whatever it's going to take and, and kind of irrespective of cost and just said, you know, what's mm-hmm. it going to take for us to get quality product? on yeah. time to our let's be part of the solution not be a part of the problem kind of philosophy and did you have your own supply chain issues i mean were you having a hard time getting some of your raw materials sure. and are are you still i mean that's i know that's been a big problem for some of the other i mean there was challenges yeah there's challenges but you know we just threw resources at it to bridge it solve it you know and luckily i would say like our company is mature enough where like it has some good disciplines that really kind of came to the forefront in the middle of the crisis. Like we had multiple qualified suppliers on every aspect of our product. Those are things that we really only kind of got mature in the last four or five years. And that's just as a result of people in our company who've done a good job, Justin Job, Jeff Coles, they've done amazing jobs and kind of really getting that maturity in place, which really came to bear fruit the last six months of in a crisis, mm-hmm. like, okay, we can't get, plastic okay well we have three other suppliers that are qualified in the plastic and we have relationships with those people and we're able to kind of bridge bridge that for our primary supplier couldn't kind of fulfill so yeah i think everybody i think all the manufacturers have done a, all of our clients on the oems i think they've all been in exactly the same spots and i think the retailers have yeah. done exactly the same thing i mean everybody's fighting the whole chlorine thing right now and right and so there's yeah, a lot that's, of that's creative another, juggling. Another yeah. Yeah. So I think we're all been in a similar boat. And fortunately, like I, I can look to and go, you know, thank God those guys in our company did, did those disciplined efforts months or years ago that really kind of bore fruit in the middle of a crisis. So supply chain, we kind of got through without a problem. 
you know, I think people, people are the biggest challenge, I think, for all of us right now, either trying to keep people safe or trying to get people back into the workforce, getting enough bodies. And I think for most of my conversations with our big clients is, you know, trying to get enough people, most of it's a labor problem, you know, I mean, there is still yeah. some, there are still some supply chain issues on some of the components for hot tubs, but you know, most of those are, I think are, are more under control, but the human part is always yeah. the biggest challenge. Always. As someone who's been in the industry for a while, a nice way of saying you're older, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I like I like to remind people right. um, <laughs> of your youth or our age. Right? I don't. I don't know. It just it depends. It depends on the person and how they're feeling right, in the moment. Right. How you take that? Um, <laughs> what a, What do you see as some of the long term things to come out of this? I mean, I think we're talking just about some generational changes in the world and how we how we do things and operate and see things. But as far as the hot tub industry goes, I think that from talking to people, it sounds like everyone feels like that long-term, this is going to be a positive thing for us. I mean, where do you, where do you fall on that? Do you think we're going to be selling this many hot tubs in 2021? Do you think it's going to slow down? Do you think we're going to start seeing more like the virtual sales continue? I mean, I don't know. There's just so many different ways that this could go for us. Kind of what are some of the things that you think you see happening long-term versus just these, we're making it through short-term things? Those are really convoluted questions. So if you could make sense of that, why don't you, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, I mean, you're, you basically, you're, ask, you're asking the big question. I had a, uh, another major component supplier to OEMs and reached out to the C CEO and you know, just to check in and see how, how they're doing. And it was almost a race to yeah. ask each other. Yeah. What do you see for 2021, mm -hmm. right? It was, you know, it was almost a joke. Like who was going to get it out of their mouth first to find out what the other guy thought. And, you know, and to be honest with you, like there's, you know, there's a lot of really smart people in our business that I respect what they say. And, you know, and I'm always teachable to hear what their opinion is. And with that said, no one knows, like no, none of us. And I, I think anyone who is overconfident on that sure. point, it's aspirational. You know what I mean? So like, I want to tell you, I want to say it is absolutely going to keep going at this rate and we're going to see double digit growth year after year because people are going to discover how amazing hot tubs are and they're going to see that three of their neighbors got one and that's going to inspire them. And it's just, we are finally going to get household penetration for hot tubs at a level of what they should be. You know what I mean? It's like, we're going to sell as many of these as they are PlayStations. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. I right? mean, and some people are saying that that's how that's kind of where they're, where they're landing all, on right. all of this. For and sure. that's, and I'm with them on an aspirational level. Like that's what I want. I want that for all of us. I believe that's, we sell a great product that has significant value, you know, to individuals and individual lives, family lives. It's a product that makes you feel good, brings people together. Right. So it's, it's amazing, you know, has great physical benefits. So I want all those same things too. And I don't believe for a second that anybody really knows, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's just, <laughs> there's so many scenarios. I mean, we're talking 
two days after the election. We have still don't know how that's going to necessarily play out and what that's going to do to impact as far as coronavirus response or consumer confidence or any of those things. I mean, there's just so many things that like, I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that there are a lot of things that are outside of your control and you just have to roll with it. (laughs) It's taught me to stay nimble. You know, the key words are like, stay nimble, you know what I mean? And be, what I can answer in that is like, what is Court doing as a company the plan for 2021, we've expanded facility. We have an additional right. facility. We've done that part to give us more room to grow, but we've also done that to do just for redundancy so that we have capacity at multiple sites because that's just a safe thing to do right. for our clients and for ourselves. We're planning, our clients are telling us they're going to grow next year. That's what our clients yeah. are saying, right? So, right. Well, I have a responsibility to my clients to have additional capacity for them to meet their growth and to supply mm-hmm. that. So we we are building up that operational infrastructure to do so. And you know, so we're we're planning on double digit growth next year around that. And at the same token, I will try to keep our business as nimble as possible. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like the wise, the wise stance to take. If you care about your clients, right. And you don't want to be hindering their growth and, and IE, I don't want to, I want to support the industry in selling and delivering as many hot tubs as possible. And so what that means is I have to have our company in a position to deliver quality product on time. It doesn't mean that's necessarily the most profitable decision because it's not. The more profitable decision to say, this is exactly how many we're going to make. And when that's sold, it's sold and lead time will grow, you know, and some manufacturers have done that, you know, have made decisions. You can see that, you know, probably speaking out of school a little bit, but I, that's my interpretation of the sheet supply Whereas that Mm. there was financial decisions were more important than industry impact their OEM clients mm-hmm. and their dealer impact and, and companies do that. I've, I've been a part of companies that have, you know, made decisions that made return, you know, quarterly returns more important than customer benefit. And I guess that's the best part about owning a company is that I get to pick who I want to be. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. What do you think has been the most difficult part of this whole experience for you? I mean, it's been a, a, a a stressful taxing time, but like you said, there's been a lot of of growth and learning and good things that have come out of it as well. Yeah. You know, I don't have one complaint. To me, it seems I am so grateful that our industry is doing well. It would feel ungrateful for me to complain about what was difficult, right? Because there's so many people that are really encountering, poor me, we can't get enough employees to make more product. Like poor me, we can't, you know what I mean? Poor me, I got a customer who's yelling at me because I got lead time at at what it is, right? Just, there's no way, I'm not, I'm not even willing to consider the complaints. That's how it can, it just, you know, in my, in in my own self, it's like, you can't, I can't Mm -hmm. complain. I can't complain. We have it so good. It's not, not to say it's not easy, you know, it's challenging, Mm -hmm. you know, and not say that I'm not totally frustrated by some of the challenges and, but let the biggest point be, I am so grateful our industry is doing well. I'm so grateful that I got a business that's part of this industry. And my heart goes out to those industries that are absolutely suffering. Plead empathy for those people 
that have no one walking in the door right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the alternative, you know, what we all expected this to look like when it started, we all had those panic moments and and we know a lot of people who are living through them still and will be for a long time. I mean, it's going to completely shake up so many industries in some pretty awful ways. The scars of COVID are going to last a long time on a lot of different industries, right? Absolutely, so, yeah. So the fact that our industry got stretch marks from growing versus those who got some real wounds, mm -hmm. I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, I'll take right? the stretch marks. <laughs> Me too, right? You know what I mean? It's like, you the choice. Yeah, right? for sure, so. for sure. To finish up, we always have asked people the Spa Retailer 5. Um, I you know I sent these to you. I'm not sure if you had a chance to look at them or not. But these are kind of our rapid fire five questions we ask every single guest, their life and about things they've done in the industry. So yeah, um, I, I don't recall them at all. So oh, this will perfect. Be, these, these perfect. five will be like completely yes. spontaneous. That's, that's good. That's I think that's the yeah. way I think that's the way we prefer them. So all right. So then you should stop. You should not telegraph them anymore, right? <laughs> all right just just surprise them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So what was the first spa product or order sale? you ever you ever made do you remember what it was or who you sold it to or what you sold them do you remember your first hot tub industry sale you know what it was um no not not i think it was an artesian i'd gone to some event with jim ferguson and i wasn't really in the business yet okay it was, so, you know, it was like a trade affair or, so, you know, something like that. Sure. Home show or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So anyways, I just, I, it was, so I was not even in the business yet. And I was there with, with Jim Ferguson and. Uh, just helping out. I, I, I sold the spa. Yeah. Just, <laughs> those poor people, I probably put them in the wrong product. But, um, but I remember it was, you know, it was fun and, and easy. I mean, just like, it's, it's a great product, right? I yeah. Mean, you're hooked. It's got a yeah, it's, it's got immense benefit to, to people. So it's it's one of those things that's easy to talk about and convey yeah. enthusiasm. What was your first real job? Was it the advertising job, or did you have a? Yeah, for sure. You, you, you yeah. weren't like working at McDonald's in high school or anything fun like that. No, I was full time trouble in high school as I mm. started out. Right. The, okay. <laughs> or it was or, yeah, or it was illegal activity. So that was probably which you know. Uh, that probably won't bear well here, but uh, my first job for sure was working for GTE Horizon. Okay. In their Yellow Page division. Yeah. All right. An industry that does not exist today. I, I mean, amazingly, amazingly so. It's kind of funny because I never really thought I would have talked to so many people about um, the Yellow Pages as I have since I started working in the hot tub industry. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, are there, are there still people buying it? Are, there, are they still no, selling but, No, but no, but it's but it was such a big it was such a big part of people's advertising strategy for so long mm -hmm. that it yeah. seems like anytime I talk to somebody about marketing or advertising or what they're doing now, it always comes yeah. up like, well, you know, we used to do the yellow pages, and now you know it was so right. it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's yeah. something that yeah, it was, but you yeah. know, for for my generation, it was never really a thing, and mm -hmm. so it's just interesting talking to people and hearing just what a huge part of their of their strategy it was. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting, and not to drag this on, but like, so when I was, I think it was like five billion dollars. It was like the most profitable segment of like the advertising yeah. industry, right? Yeah. And but what was interesting is when I was doing it, you could see the incoming because the internet was already out, mm -hmm. and then, and we were already all starting to talk about like how you're going to pivot, right. right? And that was like an industry that like they could see. They could see the technology that was going to disrupt their business right. and they did nothing. 
like they did it was they, they were so they couldn't become google <laughs> they couldn't i mean and they weren't even trying you know i mean they weren't even really they were so worried about protecting what they're doing currently mm -hmm. that they just absolutely rationalize their way into not doing anything yeah right and yeah. it was and it's a great lesson for me as a business owner today is to say like how is the world changing like i think related to how we sell hot tubs and how we communicate. I mean, you and I are talking on Zoom right now and right. that's just kind of the new norm. Yeah. So And we're doing a podcast yeah. as opposed to a print article, you know? I right. Know. Right. It's just things you gotta so, pay attention to. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's that's a real lesson to all of us as business yeah. owners, right? Is like, you know, are we pivoting the way that we need to when we're we can see it coming on the horizon. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I and I really have been impressed by a lot of retailers like how well they've pivoted to using technology to sell hot tubs. Yes. Yeah, right. it's it's it really forced people to to step into some things that they've been talking about and have never really taken the time right. to learn how to do. They they had to, and I think yeah. some of them learned how to do it really really well. And it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to grow that going forward because there's a lot yeah. of opportunity there. And I think some OEMs are going to be doing some really neat things kind of on yes. that front as well, right? Because yeah, absolutely. I think they're really in a position to kind of really help drive those platforms and figure out the technology on a larger scale for their for their dealer base. So yeah, that kind of leads to like where the industry is going to going. Those could the industry does some of that stuff really well. Mm -hmm. We will sell more hot tubs. Those yeah. will help, right? Because our reach grows. You know. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> so much for the rapid fire part of this, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Rabbit hole. Sorry about there, that. Oh, that's our, no, no, no. This is how this is how it usually goes. Okay, so what is the worst product or idea or the biggest flop you've ever done in your business? Do you have something that you can look back on and you say, that was a terrible idea? Why did I do that? God, I got a bunch, right? So <sighs> I don't know if that like terrible they all kind of led to good stuff but like the one that just always comes to mind first was at sundance we worked really hard to launch a salt system mm. and spent years a lot of money to do it and it just we got so emotionally invested in it you know what i mean that we just uh -huh product was like 90% there but on something like a salt system an automated salt system it's it's got to be like lock solid at a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Yep. And when I think of failures, I often think of that. And a lot of them were always around aftermarket products. Like, cause as an OEM, as a hot tub OEM, we would over-design products. And so they would miss the price point. You know what I mean? You just kind of, you're yeah. trying to make it better. You're trying to make it better. You're trying to make it better. Or you're not, don't really have bandwidth to get it perfected. I take those lessons forward. This is actually probably my favorite question. And that's why is because I feel like you learn so much more about where people are at now when you hear about the things that didn't work out sometimes. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, like I know it, it, for me, don't get over, you know, don't get overly emotionally vested in it that I rationalize it not being exactly right. You know, I have to right. be like really logical and kind of even handed, right? Like, yeah. and then secondly, make sure that, you know, there's enough dedicated bandwidth that it's, it's right, you know, that it's 110% before it goes. Did you guys ever end up launching it or did it just end up? Yeah, it launched. Yeah, it launched. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It launched and failed. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not quite in the same breath, but it, it was pretty okay. close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to flip the script then, what was the maybe the best idea? 
one of the the better things that you've you've launched or or did to help your your business at any point in your career? I don't, you know, I don't know what the best is. Um, I'll tell you one of like probably one of the funnest that we had is that when we were um, this is in like 2000. So when we were relaunching the jacuzzi brand to the hot tub category to, mm-hmm. to this especially retail channel. We did like high impact mailers. So a group of us came up with a bunch of high impact mailers, which are basically just what it sounds like. You send out something that really grabs people's attention. So we were sending out six foot fours that said, don't get left up the Creek, you know, with a big jacuzzi <laughs> label on it. And, uh, you know, so we systematically just terrorized the industry prospective retailers with okay. Okay. a whole series of impact mailers. But and there's been a few times that I traveled like years later through the visit of some dealer and there is a paddle still sitting behind there, you know. That's awesome. So, yeah, that yeah, is really so, fun. I, I yeah. don't think anyone really does that kind of stuff anymore. I, you know, they do. I mean, really where I got the idea was from ad agencies. Ad agencies are mm-hmm. kind of known for like sending out sure. these one-off high-impact type of mailers, right? You know, maybe they do some custom messaging on a boxing uh-huh. glove and send it to you or something like that. Sure. So that that's kind of where that, that impetus came from. But, uh, but anyways, that's probably one of the more fun ones and simple stories to tell. That is pretty fun. So I feel like this, this has changed this next question. It's very apt in the pandemic, but so what's your favorite book or TV show or podcast? I mean, what have you been doing as far as entertainment goes during the pandemic to keep yourself Keep yourself entertained. I don't know if you're a reader, a watcher, a listener. It's different for everybody, it seems like. Yeah, I am a reader, but I during this pandemic, it I, you and I started off talking about my remodeling my home. So mm-hmm. my last nine months have been like remodeling books and YouTube videos. I, I was mean, just like, gonna say, so you've yeah. been watching a lot of YouTube videos about how to yeah. drywall. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, yeah, not about, well, luckily not about drywall. I was smart enough to stuff that out, but um, yeah, just all kind of, you know, whether it's foundation work or just crazy stuff, you know? So yeah, yeah I learned how to roof a house this last year. So um, oh, man, have you been watching HGTV and, and getting like design ideas then too, or? <laughs> Very little, you know, to be honest with you, like very little, you know, I've been much more in the, the trench part of it. So we, we yeah. did have a, a good architect and designer, so I didn't, um, you don't have to come up with the ideas. You just had to execute them. Yeah. I mean, I just Somewhat. contributed, yeah, just participated <laughs> in the original designs and then it was, you know, it's really been about execution the last okay six months. So, so you've been. Yeah, so you've been getting your hands dirty and not necessarily sitting on the couch and watching Netflix like the rest of us. Yeah, I've, uh, <laughs> it's been therapy. It's been therapy to actually, you know, go build something. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, yeah. I, can, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for doing this. I didn't mean to take up quite this much of your time, and especially for a second time since we tried to do this last week and it didn't, it didn't quite work out. So thank you. I really yeah, appreciate, no you, appreciate you coming yeah. on. Enjoyed it. It was a good break from uh, what I'm normally doing during this time slot. So I appreciate <laughs> it. And, and I also want to say I appreciate what you do for the industry. So I oh, think thank you're you. adding value to all channels of this of this industry. And I think you're doing it with an intelligence and style. So my my hat's off to you. And well, thank you. We're, we're certainly, we're certainly trying. Funny too, because I feel like my story kind of is the same as a lot of people's in this industry. It's like, once you get in, you kind of, you can't get out and you make those relationships. And next thing you know, you're like, I don't think I'm going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll, 
the scary part is you look up and you go, man, I've been here for 20 years. You know, oh, I mean, gosh. that's like, really, I mean, we're getting, we're yeah. getting close. I mean, it's yeah. been like 11 or 12 at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. we're getting there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate My it. My pleasure. Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.